Welcome to Food Navigator USA Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory issues. If you're like most people in America, you likely start your day with a cup or three of coffee, which is one of the world's most valuable commodity crops, not just because it fuels so many people through their days and can cure a bad case of waking up on the wrong side of the bed, but because a recent report by the Climate Institute estimates that more than 125 million people's livelihoods rely on the global trade of coffee, which it says is worth $19 billion. And while consumption of coffee continues to grow about 5% annually, the category faces major challenges from climate change, which left unchecked could be, as Al Gore once said, inconvenient. To better understand the full threat of climate change to the coffee category, as well as what farmers, suppliers, manufacturers, and even consumers can do to help push back or adapt to the negative impact of climate change, I caught up with Alex Morgan, who's the Director of Markets Transformation with the Rainforest Alliance. Coffee is obviously important to everybody in their daily morning routines, but it's also a highly valued commodity in terms of the trade of it, and probably most importantly, um, is directly tied to the livelihoods of millions of farmers around the world. So it's grown in Asia, whether it's Indonesia or India or uh, Vietnam or East Africa, um, Tanzania, Ethiopia. It actually comes originally, the Arabica coffee at least, comes from Ethiopia. And probably what people most, at least in the States, associate um, with coffee are the Central and South American growing regions, Colombia being a big one. Brazil is actually the largest growing country. Um, but, you know, there are I've seen all sorts of different estimates, but at least 25 million people around the world who depend upon coffee directly for their livelihood. So typical coffee farmer is a smallholder farmer, uh, maybe who has two, three, four, five acres of land and is doing most of the labor him or herself. And, you know, it's difficult work that doesn't return a lot of pay. So there are serious uh, poverty and livelihood challenges for farmers. And coffee's also grown in um, or or right near many of the biodiversity hotspots of the world. So if you look at sort of the heat map of biodiversity hotspots around the world, it's a, a belt that largely stems from the tropics and in many of those countries aligns quite well with areas that coffee can and does grow. So uh, it's, it's an important crop because you can actually grow coffee in, in most circumstances with a shade canopy, so you can still maintain a biodiversity element um, while, while growing coffee at a highly productive level. So that's kind of the, the, the atmosphere. You know, it comes from many different countries. There are many different uh, varieties, many different qualities. Uh, but really, you know, the, the key is it's it's grown. It's a difficult crop to grow. The farmer struggles with a variety of challenges from, um, you know, disease to erosion to unproductive trees and aging trees to maybe their kids not wanting to grow coffee anymore. And then, like you asked about, um, to sort of the, the crowning challenge, um, which 
really touches all of those is climate change, and, and farmers are absolutely on the front line of climate change. According to the Climate Institute report released last fall, the impact of rising temperatures and altered rainfall patterns due to climate change could cut in half the areas suitable for growing coffee, which in turn would push production upslope and away from the equator with far-reaching consequences. You know, coffee itself is a pretty darn sensitive crop, so it grows at specific altitudes. And when I'm referring to coffee now, I, you know, I would say the most sensitive variety is Arabica. And that is more and more what people think of as they, as they drink coffee. It's a higher quality than Robusta in general. Um, it's what they get in, um, you know, a specialty coffee shop is going to only have Arabica for the most part, maybe a tiny bit of Robusta. But it's, it's that Arabica variety that is most sensitive to altitude and climate. Um, so it really grows. If you think about a mountain, it's really a pyramid going up to less and less land the higher altitude you go. Uh, and so it grows within a certain band around that mountain because it needs those cool temperatures but hot sun at the same time. So it can't, can't be an area that freezes and it can't be an area that, that is exposed to really long-term uh, high temperature conditions because then you, you just don't have a productive coffee tree and you, you want to have something that matures slowly because coffee is really, a, if you think about it as a cherry growing on a tree, you need that cherry to, to mature slowly, and if it doesn't mature slowly, it won't get that flavor that we all love. And so climate change, um, as first of all, as you think about temperatures rising, as the temperature rises, then you need to go to a place where you can get back, get the coffee down to a temperature that it's comfortable growing and going to mature slowly. And so what that means from the most basic setup is that you need to go up the mountain to a higher altitude. and as you go up a mountain, any mountain really anywhere in the world, it, it, it gets less and less land. And so there's less land becoming available for coffee farmers to grow that really good high quality specialty coffee on. Um, so that's kind of the most basic challenge is with the rising temperature, you've got to move, you've got to protect the temperature of the overall coffee tree. And that either means, you know, doing things like planting trees and forest for microclimate control or ultimately moving up that, that slope. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is you know, erratic weather conditions. And that's really what farmers are telling us and telling other NGOs and government entities out there today is, is hitting home already. And it's been happening for the last several years. And, and farmers are at the forefront of this. And they're telling us that there are ex more often or more frequent periods of drought. And there are sort of a greater number of significant weather events, whether that's big floods or just really large, uh, heavy storms. And, you know, depending upon what that does, if it's a storm that has hail or really heavy rain and it's right in the middle of the flowering season before the cherry starts to ripen, it can knock all the flowers off and then ultimately you have no coffee cherries on that tree. And that, you see that happening a lot. Um, if it's a drought period, then... Um, ultimately the coffee cherry can't form and there's no irrigation on most if not all coffee farms. There, there are some that have a little bit of irrigation but it's really not a widespread practice. Um, and so if there's droughts then ultimately your, your coffee cherries won't form and you don't have the coffee to then sell to the market and ultimately to put into the cup in the morning. So those are kind of the most basic things. 
Changing weather also is linked to increased outbreak of disease and pests. There was a, a crisis in um, primarily Central America, but also a little bit into South America, uh, called the Roya, which is essentially a leaf rust. Uh, and that leaf rust spread really, really rapidly throughout the coffee growing regions. And, and what it ultimately leads, leads to is the coffee tree not putting out cherries. It loses its leaves ultimately and then cannot produce coffee cherries at all. So that, that actually, the spread of that, it's, the rust itself is something that has been around for years and decades, but it's the spread of that rust and the frequency um, with which it appeared on new farms and, the, and sort of the speed with which it spread across many farms and regions that is attributed to climate change. So it's not only, you know, things like the leaf rust and the roya, but it's also insect outbreaks, um, things that we're starting to see around the world, no matter whether you're in the U.S. or you're in Central or South America or Africa. But, um, you know, that's kind of that third tier is the greater frequency of, of disease and pest outbreaks and then putting, you know, the entire crop at risk. The challenges caused by climate change are not just environmental. They're also economic, and given that many coffee farmers already struggle to make enough money during good times, any damage done to their crops due to climate change can have a significant negative effect and potentially long-lasting impact. The average smallholder farmer has a difficult time uh, maintaining enough of an income for a livelihood for a family. So, you know, when they are farming productively, uh, oftentimes, you know, they're, they're recuperating enough of an income. But when they are presented with drought or increased floods or a pest outbreak and they lose 10, 20, 30, in some cases as much as 70% of their overall production to, to one of these outbreaks or one of these incidents, then it presents a massive challenge and a massive threat to the livelihood and income of that particular family. And it's not an isolated incident. We're seeing that, that those outbreaks or those weather or climatic events are really providing, or not providing, they're presenting really um, challenges from an economic perspective for the small. I mean, for the company, ultimately the risk is, and this is not, I would say this is not just a coffee incident. I mean, this is what we're seeing in cocoa, we're seeing in, in all sorts of different crops, agricultural crops around the world, is companies are seeing that um, you know, the farmers oftentimes are challenged from a livelihood perspective. They may not want to stay in coffee or cocoa or other crops. And with climate change happening, they see that there's an even greater threat to their supply chains. And so, you know, in many cases, companies are, are taking very, very seriously. While curbing climate change entirely is a politically fraught international challenge, Rainforest Alliance is working with farmers and the companies that it buys from to help slow the change and ease the impact. It's created what it calls a Climate Smart Agricultural Practices Module that used to be a set of standards that farmers could add on to their certification, but which Rainforest Alliance recently folded into its new standards for general certification. Um, we work with a lot of different coffee roasters around Canada and elsewhere in the world, um, but working with them to ultimately get them to source from more sustainable sources from Rainforest Alliance certified farms. And, and um, part of that is 
looking to embed climate smart practices for farmers into our new standards so that when a company is buying um, you know, 50 bags of coffee from X that you know that they're supporting um, a farmer that is implementing practices that's helping her or him to adapt to climate change. And there are a number of practices that we've identified and other scientists have identified that help those farmers to adapt and also lessen the impact on the climate from a carbon perspective. Things like planting trees, uh, native tree species that serve as wind barriers, as buffers for torrential downpours. Uh, actually, you know, if you have a significant tree canopy, you can you can put in place microclimates that will keep the, the general ambient temperature lower. Um, and then other practices like cover crops. So that's just planting crops that will go on exposed soil and keep the soil from eroding and running off. Uh, and you know, as you see increased floods, soil erosion becomes more and more of a threat to your overall farm. And so really the, the idea is to provide a toolkit for farmers through Rainforest Alliance certification that, that allows them to adapt to a changing climate, better manage their farms, and then also uh, reduce the overall carbon impact of their farming operation as well. Diversifying crops is really critical, especially as climate change presents a socioeconomic challenge. So if there are going to be increased droughts or increased uh, flooding incidents or heavy downfalls, downpours, then um, you want to make sure that if a farmer really does sort of face the brunt of um, intense climatic shifts, then he or she is, is prepared to have additional cash crops, additional food sources, so that they're not depending entirely on their coffee crop to fund the family, whether it's for the food coming into the house or school fees or whatever it might, might be. So crop diversification is certainly a key. Um, and again, that, that does look at both food crops as well as other things that can be grown for commercial purposes, whether it's a timber product or another type of um, food or fruit product that could be sold on the market. Working with Rainforest Alliance not only ensures a certain level of environmental sustainability, but it also offers companies a powerful marketing tool and a story to tell consumers about how they're doing good, which is an increasingly important factor in many shoppers' decision-making process. From a consumer perspective, I like to break it down into a, a number of different categories. So there are those that sort of most committed core consumers who know what sustainability programs are, they know what Rainforest Alliance certification is, and they preference it in their purchasing, and they're even willing to spend more on it. Then the next tier down, uh, you've got those consumers who know a lot about it, and preference it, but aren't necessarily willing to spend more. And then the next step down, you've got those that know about it, have heard about it, consider it important, but don't necessarily preference it on a day-to-day -day or weekly basis. And the last group is those that uh, are aware and care, but don't, you know, don't really act upon it or don't really build it into their, their calculation of what, what they should be buying. And what we've seen is that each of those categories is growing in, in the U.S. market and in a number of other markets where we're working. So consumers are, are paying attention to these things. If you look at the millennial age, they assume that companies are doing the right thing, and if they find out that the company isn't, then they're willing to never go back to that company. And so, you know, I think more and more companies understand that they need to be doing what's right for the environment and what's right for the people involved in their chain, uh, in this case, coffee farmers. And so 
you know, what we feel is that it's a Rainforest Alliance certification is a system that is a really robust, comprehensive approach to sustainability on the farms, but also a system that's easily communicatable um, or easily um, described to the consumer uh, so that he or she can understand that they're having a difference and that, you know, they'll reward the brand or reward the company with their loyalty. And even though Rainforest Alliance might be best recognized for its environmental protection standards, Alex says there's more to the certifier. He explained that Rainforest Alliance also is looking for ways to help improve the financial position of its farmers by identifying additional sources of income and improving their use of technology. I mean, one of the big things that we're looking at now is to, to sort of take a step back and say, you know, it's really important to work with this co-op or this community or this little area in country X. You know, it might be Guatemala, it might be Colombia, it might be Ethiopia. Um, but in order for us to really have the impact that we want, we need to get to an even higher level and say, um, how do we look at this from a watershed perspective or a landscape perspective? And so we want to be um, looking at not just the coffee growing in those areas, uh, but what else can be uh, contributed to that community in terms of economic possibilities and livelihood possibilities for those farmers. So to give you one quick example, we have a project um, in Ghana. It's a cocoa project, but it's the type of project that we're trying to move more into. It's a landscape-based project, and it's an area that's between a national park and a buffer, uh, or, sorry, not a buffer, a natural reserve. And so we're working with 36 communities in between these two areas to try to reforest, protect the forest that's in place, help people to gain an understanding that you shouldn't be going into the forest and taking down trees and putting more of the agricultural crop in, and then to look at what other ways can we help them with income production or income creation. And so there's a component that's looking at beekeeping and honey production. There's obviously the cocoa component to this project, um, but could there be a carbon credit uh, component? They're all implementing climate-smart agricultural practices. So it's really trying to say, how do we engage this entire landscape of people and really get them to preserve the environment, but also really improve their livelihoods through not just better and more and you know higher quality of the agricultural crop that they're producing, but looking at other income sources as well. So the landscape trend is one that we're really pushing. Um, another is trying to use technology to empower farmers. So we're developing a new farmer training app. We already have this uh, sustainableagriculturetraining.org training website with all of these tools, posters, videos, um, sort of infographics on how to improve farming practices available. Everything's downloadable for free. It's in, I think, 12 or 13 plus languages. But it's a website. And so, you know, the, the average farmer isn't spending a lot of time on the computer, but is spending a fair amount of time on, on a cell phone and oftentimes a smartphone. And so how do we, you know, make this app something that could easily be used by the farmers to share stories of better practices, understand how to implement a, you know, a buffer zone in a sensitive area, how to um, improve the pruning practice of the trees so that their crop becomes more productive, et cetera. In addition, Rainforest Alliance is working with other NGOs to ensure laborers are paid not just a minimum wage, but a living wage. This includes drafting a set of standards that define minimum wage and how it can be measured. 
And while these efforts alone are not enough to completely overcome the impact of climate change, they are a step towards reducing and managing its impact on the world's coffee supply. Meaning as more companies get on board, more consumers can rest easy at night, knowing that they will have a cup of coffee waiting for them in the morning to help them jumpstart their day. For Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, I'm Elizabeth Crawford.